pray tonight as I speak, Lord, that you would make every person good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint eyes to see and ears to hear tonight. Anoint people's minds to be able to comprehend. Lord, anoint people's hearts. And I pray tonight that if people are good, fertile soil, that the, the presence of God has kind of tilled up the soil. And tonight, as the Word of God goes out of my mouth, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would captivate everybody's attention to really give you their best ear and their full attention and their focus. Lord, that, that the Word of God will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth that will go into hearts and minds and be watered by you, Holy Spirit, tonight and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest in every life of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, that you would burn the truth of God in, into people's hearts and minds and let it become a part of who they are. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your presence. Lord, Holy Spirit, let your presence even increase now. Let your glory come over people. But I thank you, Lord, that people's attention is just focused and they're captivated to receive everything that you have for them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we bless you. And Lord, as the Bible says about the seed and the sower, we bind away anything the enemy would try to do in the way of stealing the seed or trying in any way to hinder the Word of God. We bind that away and break it in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Lord, for everything be accomplished as your word goes forth, that your will to be done. The word of God will go forth and accomplish everything that you have sent it forth to do. In the mighty name of Jesus. So guys, there's some seats over here to my left. There's some back here as well. If you guys want to sit back here. There's some right back over here. Just gather and make yourself at home. God's presence is here. <laughs> so I want to talk to you tonight, if you give me your best ear, about a, kind of a prophetic word. But the Lord's gave me a sermon series that He wants me to start on revival. About churches being birthed in revival. When the Apostle Paul went through Ephesus the first time, not much happened. It didn't seem significant. But the second time that he went through Ephesus... You can read about it in the book of Corinthians. He told them, he said, there's an effective door that's open and there's many that oppose me. How many knows whenever there's an effective door that's open, there's going to be great opposition? Amen? And as this effective door opened, the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. Great revival broke out. You read about it in Acts chapter 19. It says the whole province of Asia. is basically a similar move of God as to what you, you saw maybe with Azusa Street. What you saw with the Pensacola Revival. Other moves of God through church history. The Apostle Paul saw a sovereign move of God for two years. Where the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, the Bible says. It says that so many people were getting saved. That, that were coming out of witchcraft. That they had this huge pile. They did a... A very large uh, bonfire where they burned all their witchcraft, uh, I'm sorry, scrolls and all the different things that were associated with witchcraft. They burned all that. It talks about how even handkerchiefs and aprons Paul laid his hands on and it was sent to the sick. They were healed. The demonized were delivered. And so it was an awesome move of God. And many lives were changed. Okay? Now, that happened the second time when he went through Ephesus for two years. Now the result of that revival was that there was a church planted there that was planted in the fires of revival. And so whenever you read about Ephesus, you need to read, read it through the eyes of, from this day forward, that this was a revival church. 
So when you read the book of Ephesians, think about that. Think about it was birthed in the fires of revival. And you can see in the book of Ephesians, you can see the first couple chapters, it talks about who you are and what you have in Christ. Then it talks about how to live. Then it talks about order in your home. But it also talks about spiritual warfare. Because you're not going to have a move of God without some spiritual warfare coming against you. The devil's not going to sit back and let it happen without putting up a fight. So, even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia, one of them was Ephesus. Think about what he said. How they had gotten away from their first love. See, they were born in the fires of revival. And so what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about the word of the Lord regarding revival through this series, A Move of God. Because I'm going to tell you that it's going back to the book of Acts. That's where it's going back to, I'm telling you. You can see that, you know, I'm going to give you some prophecies tonight. Is that okay? All right. Let me look at some things. Listen, tonight is going to be different. This is kind of a prophetic sermon. But there's been a lot of prophets that are seeing a great awakening sweep America. It's coming. I believe with all my heart it's coming. The first great awakening that swept our nation came back through Jonathan Edwards and then as it broke out people like Wesley came, Whitfield. The whole nation was affected by the power of God. Okay, the whole nation. It was a great awakening. A similar thing happened about 1905 in Wales. The whole nation was shaken by the power of God. It was so powerful in Wales that the brothels were shutting down and and there was story after story. The bars were shutting down. They couldn't print enough Bibles. The national, um, it was like basically like in our time, the NFL Super Bowl, but the national soccer you know, league had to shut down. They didn't even do their, quote, Super Bowl because of revival. And it actually says that in history. It says shut down because of revival. How would you like the Super Bowl be shut down because of revival? Let it come. Lord, let it come. But it was so powerful that all the, all the miners were getting saved and their donkeys didn't know what to do because they stopped cussing and they didn't understand what to do anymore because the donkeys all responded to profanity. So it basically changed the whole landscape of Wales. The second great awakening, though, that hit America happened in the days of Finney. And Charles Finney, if you want to read about a radical man of God, he really was. And he would go from town to town and preach the gospel. And it was so powerful, the conviction was so thick, that people, grown men, would be in a seated position and gripped by the fear of God convicted, that they would be literally sit in a seated position and just fall on the ground groaning. And people would have to go pick them up and carry them down to the altar. And Finney would lead each one of them to Christ and pray with them. But God was moving in a great awakening. And I really believe, I agree with the prophets, and there's many of them that are saying this, that America is about to see a third great awakening before Jesus comes. Now let me tell you what Dr. Cho prophesied. And I'm sharing all this for a reason because I don't want you or myself to get caught into the trap of just living for the here and the now, 2012, and caught up in our own little bubble of what God's doing through us. Listen, we need to have a national mindset and a national view about what is God doing on a large scale. What is He doing across the world? What is His plans for America over the next couple decades? How is this whole thing going to unfold? And let me tell you what Dr. Cho prophesied before the Pensacola Revival. He said that God has not reserved America for judgment. 
He said that America will see a great revival. And he said that it will begin in Pensacola, Florida. And that it would burn like a match head. And it would go from Pensacola and it would move 50 miles west. And now you see the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival breaking out 50 miles west. Okay, so that's the second part of the prophecy is being fulfilled now. The first part was fulfilled in, in 1995, Father's Day. He said that it would go 50 miles west. Then it would hit Louisiana area. So you even see right now, some of you know that are keeping up with things, that there's, there's already revival fires beginning in Louisiana. Alright, then he said it would shoot up the east coast up into the New England area. It would come across the nation down to the southwest area, maybe Southern California, something like that. He wasn't specific. Then it would shoot up the west coast up into the Pacific Northwest. And once it hit there, he said all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. So we saw it already. This prophecy began in Pensacola. It happened for around five to eight years, the great Pensacola revival. It was like a million people come to Christ. It was awesome. Then it moved 50 miles west to Mobile, Alabama, broke out at the Bay of the Holy Spirit Revival. Ruth Ward Heflin was a mighty woman of God. She's since gone home to be with the Lord. But I want you to listen to her prophecy. She was in Jerusalem, and the Lord gave her this prophetic word. Just let me read it. He said, she said, I was taken up in the Spirit and shown the end time revival. One night in Jerusalem, I was carried away in the Spirit, and I saw the last day revival. I saw a large platform. It was the deepest platform I'd ever seen. I stood on very broad platforms, but never one so deep. On the platform, there was at least a hundred hospital stretchers filled with critically ill people. I knew that they were coming because of the miracles that were taking place in the meetings. I saw television cameras and reporters from all the major networks, and I knew that they were there recording the great revival. I saw America ablaze with God. And I knew that when revival had fully been ignited across America, that Dallas, Texas would be the center. It's okay to be excited about the word of the Lord, okay? It's like people are wanting to go, yes, you know, but it's just, can I do that? It's, just, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. So Dallas, Texas would be the hub once America was set ablaze, okay? If you guys will let me just share a few minutes about revival, I'm going to tell you, God's got some great things in store for America. When great awakenings have happened in times past, it seemed, things seemed very bleak, you know, it seemed like a, the nation was at a low point. In Wales, it seemed like it was at a low point, but how many knows that dry wood catches fire quick? God spoke to me something, though, for you guys. Those of you that are here, this is a divine appointment you're here on this night. You're supposed to hear this word. But the Lord, I was at Brownsville, and we were worshiping the Lord at this Brandon by Fire conference, and the Lord just spoke to me. He does this to me. He spoke to me this word, fuselage. And I'm thinking, I don't know what that is. And the Lord spoke to me right after that. This is what He said. He said, you're going to have to look it up. And I was like, I know. <laughs> So anyway, I looked it up. I, in the past, I, I knew what this was. I forgot. But anyway, a fuselage is the part of an airplane where there's the cockpit and then where the passengers sit. Okay, So it's the, the center of the airplane shaped like a bullet. Okay, That's the fuselage. 
Now, what the Lord spoke to me about this word fuselage, after I looked it up and knew what it meant, okay, God began to show me what He was trying to say. But how many knows whenever you're going up to a new altitude, there has to be preparation made. They cannot take it lightly. These people that work on airplanes, it's life and death. And it's something serious. And they've got to make sure there's not a crack in the window somewhere. They've got to make sure that things are sealed off right and that it's ready to handle that altitude and what that altitude is going to face. Because in that altitude, you face things that your little smart car isn't going to face. Amen. How many of y'all think smart cars are ugly? No offense if somebody's got one. I'm sorry. You know, just about smart cars, they are ugly and they do look like an egg. But here's the thing. There was a prophetic guy back in the 40s. Listen, he prophesied this. He said, right before Jesus comes, he said, vehicles will look like eggs. Now listen, think about back then. I mean, back then they made these huge vehicles that were like army tanks, you know. I mean, saying something was going to look like an egg, that was insane. And now we have the smart car. But seriously, prophesied right before Jesus comes, there'd be cars look like eggs. We're in the last days. So, when you go up to new altitudes, God has to do something in you. Because He knows that you can't handle that pressure. Where you're at right now, He knows that He's got to do a work in you so that you can go up to new altitudes and be okay. You know, there's a saying, new levels, new devils. That's not in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you, it, it might ought to be. Because when you go to new levels, you do face new levels of warfare. But the pressure, just like another example would be, you know, the deeper people go down in the ocean, the more the water pressure begins to try to crush their body. And they've got to be ready to be able to handle the pressure. And that's symbolic of what I'm trying to say to you. The higher you go, or you can look at it, the deeper you go, God's got to do a work in you to be able to handle the pressure. It's the pressure of the glory of God, the pressure of hosting God's presence, but it's also the pressure of the spiritual warfare you'll face, and it's also the pressure of the persecution you'll face from people. Let me say that again. There's three pressures you're going to face. You're going to face the pressure and the weight of God's glory, hosting revival. You're going to face the pressure of spiritual warfare at a new level. And you will face the pressure of persecution that comes from religious people. Because religious people do not like the move of God. But where this thing is going back to, God is going to bring it back to book of Acts. And what I've been seeing as the Pensacola revival broke out, the emphasis at Brownsville was salvation. It was souls. We don't need to lose our burden for the lost. So as I'm talking about going into new things, that doesn't mean you forsake what God already did. But what God did at Brownsville was He imparted into so many people a burden for the lost. A passion for souls. Jesus said, I come to seek and save the lost. This next wave of the Spirit that's hitting has to do with signs and wonders. It has to do with miracles. Thousands of healings. Major miracles. You guys saw Delia Knox get out of that wheelchair. Remember that? And people that know Sister Delia knows that she had been crippled for like, what, 20 years or something? It was a long time. A car wreck, a drunk driver hit her. 
and severed spine. But anyway, she's walking now, praising God. Major miracles, this is the next wave, but I believe, it's just my personal opinion, I believe before Jesus comes, there's going to be a wave where the Holy Spirit starts moving in the way of delivering the captives. I believe that. I believe that there's going to be an emphasis at some point on the deliverance ministry. Because God knows that before Jesus comes, people are in so much bondage, they need to be free. People need to be set free. You know, listen, 100, 200 years ago, people weren't facing the stuff that people face now. You know, ever since the 60s, you know, people were getting into drugs and they, they don't realize all the demonic bondage that goes along with it. All the, the, the sexual sins and, and, and messing with the occult and they're opening themselves up. And the Lord is going to come in He's going to deliver the captives. I'm telling you. So this is where things are. We know that an awakening is coming. We know that we're on a time schedule from the Lord. It looks bleak. You look at things in Washington, you're thinking, my Lord, what in the world? And you look at the landscape of the nations and you can see that, that literally it seems like the economies of the world are being shaken and it seems like it's setting stage for one world currency, doesn't it? It seems like governments are being shaken and it's trying, the enemy is trying to make way for a one world government. And it's happening in our time. But while that's going on, because Bible prophecy will be fulfilled, while that's going on in the world, there's a major end time revival breaking out among the nations. And there's going to be billions with a B, billions of people brought into the kingdom before Jesus comes. Now let me give you a few things. Isaiah 10.27, the King James Version says, It will come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. Amen. Listen, Jesus, Acts 10.38 says, Jesus was anointed. Everybody say, Jesus was anointed. Jesus he was anointed. anointed. It says that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. Alright, so Jesus carried this awesome anointing. He wants us to have an anointing. Now what destroys the yoke of bondage? The anointing. Now look at this, the NIV. It goes into the Greek, and I did a study on this. The NIV version cracks me up, okay? Listen to this. It says, In that day their burden will be lifted from their shoulders, their yoke from their neck. The yoke will be broken because you've grown so fat. <laughs> I heard somebody say, are you serious? Yes, that's what it says. Okay, listen. In the Greek, here's, I mean, yes, in the Hebrew, what it's saying is, is the anointing causes you to swell up into a place of strength. I'm going to show you this here in a moment. When the anointing comes, strength arises. And it's strength. You guys, I hate to use this example, but I just have to. It's too, you guys ever seen the Hulk? All right. <laughs> How many remember the old Hulk back in the 60s or whatever? <laughs> All right, anyway. So as he hulked up, anything that was on him ripped off. Hey, it's a good example. It may be cheesy, but it's a good example. When the anointing comes, it causes people to grow in strength and it breaks off things that used to be there. Not only that, but through you, it will break off others. 
That's the picture that they have here in, he, in the Hebrew. There's a swelling up. The anointing takes you to a place of strength. And listen, you guys have, you know, I'm talking to those that went to Brownsville, but also those that have been here. God has touched you. There's been a fresh anointing come in your life. And listen, God is trying to do this prophetic word about fuselage. God is trying to take everybody up to new heights in Him, to new places where things are broken off and you're going to a new place of strength. But I'm going to tell you, as God is doing that, okay, it's the anointing that's taking you there, but you need to understand the process because some of you have just gotten a major increase of anointing and it seems like there's this increase of pressure coming against you spiritually. Let me tell you what's going on. As you're going up to a new altitude, the enemy's trying to squeeze down, but you're going to break through. Amen. I want you to picture in a moment with, your, with me, with, you know, Using your mind's eye, just picture the borders of a nation. As a nation begins to expand its borders, their military goes to the right and to the left, and they begin to conquer on, on the right and on the left, and they begin to expand their borders. They have to fight the resistance all the way till those borders are established. And just like what I'm saying is you come up to a new place... The enemy isn't happy, but it's like God's expanding your borders and your authority and your anointing and, and you're pressing out into new places. It's an increase. And some of you are saying, what's going on? Because I feel pressure. I feel the squeeze of something. There's some kind of a pressure coming. It's this. You're coming up to a new altitude and you're going to break off things that have tried to press you down in the past. That's what's going on. Did you know that Egypt, the name Egypt, means double straits? You know, whenever we use the word straits, we're talking about pressure. And when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they faced the devil. Look, think about how much Pharaoh was used of the devil to try to stop Israel from going forward. Satan used Pharaoh to fight tooth and nail them getting out of Egypt. But nonetheless, God provided a way supernaturally and it was like double straights it was like they were squeezing out they were squeezing through the pressure that satan was trying to put down on them and they broke through is it okay that i tell you guys some things that's a little deep tonight because god's not in everything once you read the story so elijah had to face jezebel in his day and i believe in the last days that we're going to face the jezebel spirit again we already are but listen to this, it says, The Lord said, Go out to Elijah. Elijah was depressed, he was discouraged, he had fled. He ended up at Mount Horeb. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go out, he was in a cave, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. I would have liked to have seen that. But the Lord, listen, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. That's his prayer shawl. He pulled it up over him, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? Your Lord's not in everything. You see, people think that the Lord, you know, whenever things start shaking and moving and all the hype and, and people think, oh, the Lord's in it. 
Elijah knew how to ignore things that the Lord was not in. But he learned to hear the whisper of the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, let me give you an example. So we go by, just recently, this, a lot of people can relate to this. We went to an amazing conference, Branded by Fire at Brownsville, okay, in Pensacola, Florida. I recommend people go that hear this. It's always awesome. Anyway, the presence of God was amazing. It was powerful. It was awesome. Now, because it's a youth conference, they're going to have the smoke and the lights and everything, okay? I think that's great. I think that they should do that for the young people, okay? I'm not saying anything negative about that. If I was doing the conference, I would do that myself. But the Lord is not in a smoke machine. The Lord is not in the lights. See, everybody gets caught up with that stuff. Oh, man, the worship was so awesome, and I just love the way the guy played the drums. Man, listen. The Lord is not in all of that stuff, but if you'll find Him. See, Elijah knew to ignore the things that were outward like that, but when the whisper came, he knew, wait, wait, here's the Lord right here. And so while all these things were going on, there's a lot going on. See, people get caught up with charisma. They get caught up with personalities. And you know, it's the American thing. It's like the American idol. People judge by surface things. Listen, some of this stuff you guys really need to take out of here and let it get within you. People in America judge by outward things. They think, oh, the person has the expensive suit on. The person drives this car. They got a fancy car. And I'm not just talking about in the church, even though it's there. And, and they look at somebody's big house and they look at this and they think, oh, they're so successful. They judge by externals. But you know, it was interesting because when we were at Brownsville, I, I had the opportunity because I kind of know some people and I know about the revival. And so I went out of my way to find some of the altar workers that used to pray for people in the revival. And they were just, hum- they were just there humbly serving. I mean, here they are, in my opinion, giants of the faith, just awesome men and women of God. And they're sitting back, you know, opening doors and and serving, cleaning up, getting a trash bag, cleaning up type of thing. But yet, God had used them in such an awesome way that during the Brownsville Revival, people from all over the world came. Ministers literally, when I say all over the world, all over the world came there. And these altar workers were the ones that prayed over them. And they would go back to their churches in their nation and outbreaks of revival would happen. These are the people I'm talking about. And amidst all the stuff going on, the smoke and the lights and the awesome. I mean, God's presence was there, but it was all there. And it was like I, we found that gentle whisper, so to speak. And I remember going up to those people and I said, would you pray for our group? How many knows it's important to honor the fathers and mothers of the faith? Amen. And some of you guys were there and you, you know what happened. It was, it was life-changing to say the least. Do you you get where I'm going with this? People get so caught up in America with the outward. I've seen places where there's charismatic preachers and people know how to work a crowd. The worship band knows how to whip everybody up in a frenzy. The preacher knows how to say the right things and get it. And it's just, it's, it's man. But you need to learn to get past charisma, outward appearance, Things that are external and really find the Lord. You know what the Lord spoke to me? woke me up a few years ago. I believe it was 2006. woke me up in the middle of the night like 3 in the morning. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm coming again. Now he was talking about Dallas and he was, he was speaking to me obviously about the ministry. But he said this. He said, I'm coming again to a manger. 
and the wise will seek and find me there. Now, let me explain what that means. It's kind of like the fuselage thing. You've got to figure it out. What he means is this. He meant that he's coming again to an obscure place and people that are wise will find him there. See, people that aren't wise, they're caught up with all the charisma and the hype. But people that are wise, they follow the Lord's presence and they find Him in the secret place. That's good. I want you to picture this with me. Let's say that somebody has a calling on their life that's a high calling. I believe many of you do. It's been brought here. And just picture this as a cup, okay? Let's say the cup is half full. You have a high calling on your life. Let's say like a level 10 calling. But at the present state, as far as anointing and authority goes, God's got you at about a level 5. Even though you're called to a 10, you're just at a 5. I don't understand it, but, I, but it's true. Somehow the enemy knows these things. He knows you're called a level 10. They just do. And so you're going to face some resistance on a level 10 level. Is everybody following me? You're called to a level 10 and you're facing a level 10 battle. But yet you're only at a level 5 authority and power and anointing. So the Lord will keep increasing the anointing and increasing the authority and He'll keep bringing you up to a place to where you're at a level 10 and you can handle the pressure that goes with that calling. And that's called the process right there, what I just described. That's the process. That's the wilderness before your promised land. Nobody likes the wilderness. But if unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and die, it'll just remain a single seed. You have to let the Lord crucify you. And you know the thing about crucifixion? You can't fully crucify yourself by yourself. You know, as much as we don't like it, if you're really truly going to be like Jesus, God's going to probably allow you to have a Judas. Because you might can nail your own feet and you might can nail one hand, but you've got to have somebody else get the other hand. But Satan's kingdom seems to recognize rank and calling. I'm not an expert on this, but you know, there's people as they wear their military outfits, the stripes and different things they have, you can recognize their calling. I mean, you can recognize their rank, I'm sorry. You can recognize their rank of authority. It's the same way in the kingdom. There's something there, it's spiritual. But the enemy can recognize rank. So we all need to be coming up to new levels of power and authority. Now when I'm talking about spiritual power, I'm talking about the anointing. When I'm talking about authority, I'm talking about a mantle. It's different. See, you can't really abuse power too much because the Holy Spirit will ignore you if you try. (laughs) He won't move. But the anointing increases spiritual power in your life. But the Lord will cause you to grow in authority. Meaning God may allow great power, but He's going to watch you and you're going to graduate from kindergarten. 
you're going to move to first grade, you're going to move to second grade, you're going to go to third grade, and you're going to keep going all the way up until he can really entrust you with a significant amount of authority because you can't really abuse power too much, but people can abuse authority. And so the Lord wants to make sure you're ready for authority when it comes. But we need to be growing in power and authority. Did you guys know in the Bible that King David is the only person that had a triple anointing on his life? Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha had a double. But David was the only one that was anointed three times. He was anointed by Samuel in the fields. He was anointed over Hebron. And then he was anointed as king over all of Israel three times. He had a triple anointing on his life. But see, that's not the way it started with David. He had to mature. He had to grow. Let me read to you 1 Samuel chapter 16. Just follow me. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Well, that just reminded me of that guy in Pensacola had that thing of oil. They didn't just do the little dab will do. I mean, he was dumping it on us, man. That's cool. Anyway. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Tell them I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived in Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. Now see, this is spiritual authority because these people knew that Samuel, he was a man of God. And they were like, did you come in peace? Are we in trouble? Is God about to strike us with lightning? What's going on? Why are you here? Is everything okay? You know? And they were afraid. And they asked him, did you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. It's okay. I stop here once in a while. Listen, it's important to consecrate yourself. Do you remember when we were there and I, kept, and I told you guys, let's stop and take the Lord's Supper and I prayed for you. We, we made sure that we were ready to receive what God had for us. You need to consecrate yourself and make yourself ready to receive from the Lord. Alright, then it said, Samuel said, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice. Then he, then he um, sorry, surely the Lord's anointed stands before us. He said, they brought to him Jesse's sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. He was the oldest son. And Samuel thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed here that stands before us. See, that's what I'm talking about, judging by externals. See, Samuel was a great man of God. But at the same time, he was still looking at the outward. And he thought, man, here's this, this real handsome guy. He's strong and look at him. I mean, surely this is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the outward things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And the Lord has not chosen him either. Then Shammah and Samuel said, The Lord isn't, hasn't chosen him. In other words, all the sons passed. And finally, Samuel said, Is there anybody else? And Jesse said, yes. He said, my youngest son, he's out there tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So they sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took his horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. 
And from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I'm sorry, on David. Samuel then went to Ramah. See, when the anointing comes, the Spirit of God will come upon you in power from that moment. See, God doesn't look at the outward things. God looks at the heart. He looks at the inward. He's, he's seeing, just like He did with David. David was a worshiper and he had a heart for God. And that's what brought promotion. And I say this, some of you guys, the Spirit of God, God's already anointed you and the Spirit of God's already come upon you in power. Probably a, a lot more than you realize. But see, after David was anointed, and then after that he went and he defeated Goliath in front of the whole nation. He ended up in the king's house. God was promoting him, but God saw that David still needed some character development and still needed some work. And God didn't allow his promotion prematurely. So what did God do? He began to harden David to difficulties. He began to do a deep consecration in his life. He began to prepare him. The Spirit of God was already on David. He was already anointed king over Israel. But the Lord caused him to wander in caves. 1 Samuel 22, it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about this, they went down to him there. All those who were distressed or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. There was about 400 in all. When Jesus was here, remember, he could have done a lot of things, but Jesus poured his life into twelve. That's mainly what he did. And then whenever it was time for him to go, it jumped from 12 to 120. Then after the day of Pentecost, the increase started coming. But Jesus started with 12 and it, and it progressed. King David was supposed to rule the nation. And he started with just about 400 in a cave. God made him wonder in caves. Some people believe for about 16 years as God developed character in him. See, some of you think, well, God's anointing me, God's hands on my life, all that's true. But you're not going to get out of the process that God's doing in your life. Because just like the fuselage, God is trying to seal you off. He's trying to harden you to difficulties. He's trying to get things out of you that needs to go. He's trying to change you. He's putting you through the fire. He's purifying you. He's cleansing you. He's changing you so that when you start moving up to new altitudes, you can handle it. If a plane was to go up to this altitude and there was a crack somewhere, the cabin pressure would drop, they would all be in danger. God has to do a complete inner healing. Let me read to you Matthew 24, verse 9. It talks about the end times. Jesus said, In the last days you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. By all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations in the end will come. But I want you to notice it says that many, it says many will betray and hate each other. And it says that the love of many, the love of most will grow cold. As we're living in the last days, it becomes a situation where you're facing things on an intense level that previous generations did not face. They didn't face it on this level. And God has to get out of us, all of us, He's got to get us interhealed to a place to where you're not easily offended. Now some people, they've been hurt, they've been burned in life. And because of that, they carry it over and it affects other people. I've made up my mind, this is the truth, I've made up my mind that, listen, if, the, if all of my friends was to betray me, God's going to give me new friends, but I'm not going to take out on the new friends what the previous ones did. But see, people have gotten hurt in some church at some time or by somebody, and they carry that offense to the next place. they got a chip on their shoulder and an attitude, and they're taking out on other people, innocent people that never did anything to them. They're taking it out on them. And God's got to get us to a place to where we're not easily offended. That things roll off your back. Sometimes some of the people that irritate you the most will turn around and be one of your best friends down the road. Some of the people that may resist your ministry the most may turn around and be one of your greatest supporters one day. It's easy to underreact. And it's also easy to overreact. But God wants us to learn how to balance it. How many knows that God's process in your life is father-filtered? Everything is father-filtered. This is not the case with everybody. And it's certainly not the case in every situation. But there are times where God's got you, you're under His hand, okay? And the Lord sees your life. He sees that there's an anointing and there's a calling on you. He sees that you have destiny and purpose and He has a great plan for your life. But He also sees that there's things in your life that need to be dealt with and there's no other way to deal with them but through some trials. I wish that wasn't the case, but that is just the way it is. And so because He loves you, He may lift His hand just a little bit like this and allow the enemy to start coming in and hit you in some places. He's carefully watching the situation and His angels are around you. And when the process is done, He'll cover you back up again. These are the trials that we need to be thankful for that nobody probably is. In the book of James, it says, Count it all joy when you go through these things. Because they're working in you. Patience and endurance. And they're building character. I believe when we get to heaven one day, we're going to be so thankful for the things that we went through here that prepared us. You know, there's things now back 10, 15 years ago, when I first started in ministry, I was going through different things. and But I can see now how God was preparing me. See, God knows how to qualify people. You know, have you ever seen them fix a key? See, your destiny is like the lock on a door. That's your promised land. It's like a lock on a door. But God's got to cut the key. What is the key? The key is you. 
And God's got to shave off the rough edges that need to go and He's got to fit you for your destiny. And even just like the potter's wheel, He may be molding you and shaping you and then there's some bump over here that needs to be dealt with. What did the potter do? they got to break it and start over. See, nobody likes the breaking. But those are the times. Because see, you can't get wine out of the grape until it's crushed. You can't get the anointing out of an olive till it's crushed. God's got to allow us to be totally crucified. And let me tell you this. You guys have a great calling. I believe many of you do. God's got something for you. But you've got to allow Him to bring you to a place where you're crucified with Christ. It's not you living anymore, but it's Christ living through you. Where everything that's of you is dead, and now it's Christ living through you. It's the crushed olive that now can yield the anointing. Some of the greatest anointings were formed in the crucible of life. The Lord will take gold and He'll purify it with fire. It's the anointing first, then the preparation. See, the Lord, through somebody one time, spoke to me. This was like 15 years ago. This is when I very first was called to ministry. And God really anointed my life early. There was a prophetic man that spoke to me this back then. He said, the anointing on your life is mature. But he said, you're not. But the anointing on you will mature you. And what you got to understand is that the anointing that's in you and on you will take you to a place of maturity. It's the anointing first. Let me start closing this thing down with faith. See, God wants to see an increase in our faith. I believe sometimes the reason why the Lord allows things over a period of time is He is strengthening your faith. Because I'm going to tell you, if you start lifting weights or whatever, you can't start with something really heavy. You have to start at a certain place and you gradually build. And the same thing with faith. God starts you you know, with a little five-pound dumbbell, okay? And then He graduates you to new levels of faith, like the 10-pound, and you keep going up. But you exercising your faith, God is increasing your faith. And let me show you what I'm talking about in Mark eleven twenty. It says, As they went along, they saw a fig tree withered by the roots, and Peter remembered that Jesus cursed him. And Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen... It will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, it will be yours. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven may forgive you. But I want you to notice that you have to speak it twice as much as you believe it. See, there's power in the spoken word. There just is power. You can believe in your heart, but you've got to speak it. That's why it says in Romans, it talks about you believe in your heart to be saved. You believe in your heart, but you also confess the Lord with your mouth. 
There's power in what you say. I'll give you an example. Sandy and I didn't have much of anything lined up for the last part of the summer. We had to believe God for some you know, finances and things. And I told her, I said, now let's pray and we're going to believe. You know, we know this. It's time to start. This is where the rubber meets the road. We got to do it. So we prayed and we believed. And I said to her, I said, now listen, both of us have got to agree we're not going to say one negative thing. Now, every day, when I would pray, I would say, Lord, I thank you that you're lining things up. Finances are coming in. The need's going to be met. And I would speak it every day. I didn't see anything. See, how many knows it doesn't take any faith to believe after you see? What faith is that? There's no faith in once you see it, then you're like, oh, now I believe. (laughs) Well, you know, anybody can believe then. Sinners can believe. So we had to believe... And I kept speaking every day, Lord, you're meeting the need, you're providing it, it's happening, I thank you for it. Every day when I'd pray, I'd speak it. And something opened up that was above and beyond what we were even believing for. Amen. Well, let me, uh, that's just an example that would apply to any area of life, whether it's your uh, healing or it's, a, it's something on your workplace you're dealing with, the trial, whatever it is, if you pray and believe, then you'll start speaking it. See, the Bible talks about calling those things that are not as though they are. This is where a lot of Christians really, a lot of Christians out there have a hard time with that. Calling those things that are not as though they are. Abraham believed God, and it says he called things that were not as though they are. Meaning, he would speak out of his mouth that I'm the father of many nations. What God spoke to me is happening. My wife's going to get pregnant. We're going to have this child. And he would call those things that are not as though they are. And it happened just as he believed. That's talking about faith, confessions, and it's powerful, but there's also the power of speaking blessings. They're two different things. But I've taught you guys about that. But you've got to start applying the principle of your mouth is going to be what brings change. It just is. There's people that start speaking blessings, and you can tell it begins to shift things. Now let me close. i got another prophetic word here from Rick Joyner I want to get to before I close. But let me give you real quick the benefits of the anointing. See, while you're going through this process, fuselage, the Lord said. Maybe He gave that to me because He knew I'd never forget that one, you know. But God's tempering you. He's preparing you. He's hardening you to difficulties. He's preparing you to go to new altitudes. But God is doing that in you. He's also not only cleaning you out, but He's strengthening your faith. And as your faith is going to new levels, so will everything else. But let me give you a few benefits of the anointing. How many knows that the anointing will bring a cleansing fire into your life? That was a good place for amen. Let me do that again. How many knows the anointing will bring a cleansing fire in your life? It will. Matthew 3.11, it said, Jesus said, I'm sorry, John the Baptist said, I come baptizing with water, there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Alright, fire is what purifies your life. We need the fire. Also in, in Luke 11.20 and also in Matthew, it records where Jesus was driving out a demon. And of course, the religious people said Jesus was demon-possessed. 
If they were alive today, they would say he had a Kundalini spirit or whatever. Some would get that, some won't. But anyway, that's the religious community's thing now. But they say Jesus had a demon. That's what they believed. They believed he was demon-possessed, he was a sorcerer. They thought Jesus was a witch and a weirdo. That's what they thought. And they said, you drive out demons by the power of Satan. But this is what Jesus said. He said, the blasphemy of the Spirit won't be forgiven. But he also said, I drive out demons by the Spirit of God. And in Luke eleven twenty, he said, by the finger of God. The Spirit of God is power. The finger of God speaks of authority. In other words, Jesus was driving out demonic spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority. See, the increase of the anointing will take you to a place where you can face the enemy head on in a way maybe you never have before. The battle is a clash between power. I don't think people fully understand that. It's not a clash of ideas. It's not a debate. When you get there with the demon, you're not going to sit down and have a little debate. So let's just, you know, let's discuss why you should leave. You're not going to debate the thing, okay? It's not a clash of ideas. It's not, you know, sitting around reasoning or let's get real philosophical about this. That's not going to do anything. What it is, it is a clash between Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of God. You're in the middle of this clash. You're the window and it's, you're hitting Satan's kingdom and driving back. It's the authority that's come in you. It's the authority in the name of Jesus. I have authority to bind you and drive you back. And the power of the Holy Spirit will drive that thing back. It's the power of God, the authority. That is what most Christians right now in America are lacking, but I believe it's coming. I do. It's not the stinking degree on the wall. A demon is not... You know, I can just see somebody come in. They got their little briefcase, you know. And the demon manifests and they, they sit down and they pull out their little doctorate. You don't understand, demon. I have a doctorate of divinity. You should be leaving. You should be intimidated by me. They don't care about your degree. They don't care about your education. What is going to threaten them is the power of God in you. It's the anointing. It doesn't say how God gave Jesus a degree and He went around doing good. It doesn't say how God gave Jesus a philosophical mindset or a great debate. It says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and He went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil. It was the anointing that marked Jesus' life. I'm not belittling that because I went to Bible school and I, and I have degrees, but I'm going to tell you, that is not going to do anything. It's not. It Maybe it helped prepare my life some, but listen, it's the power of God. When Jesus picked the twelve, what does it say? He picked them to be with Him. He didn't give them all a parchment. Okay, you've passed my class. You know, gave them a little robe, they had a little hat, and then Jesus had the little ceremony, you know. I'm not belittling that. There's a place for that, okay? I've, you know, got degrees and things. I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying, that isn't what birthed the early church. What birthed the early church was the power of God. 
book of Acts Christianity. They didn't sit around talking about some degree or whatever, some mindset or sit around debating. They went around destroying the works of the devil. Their shadow was healing the sick. They would pray for dead people that would get up. We need the power of God to face the enemy head on. I'm going to tell you too, there's a protection. There's a protection with the anointing. See, the anointing forms a fire around your life that will protect you. True spiritual discernment is something that all of us are going to have to let the Lord develop in us. But see, let me, let me go back to protection. See, the atmosphere around your life is a protection if it's the atmosphere of heaven. Let me tell you, as, as the anointing comes in your life, the purifying fire, God's going to start dealing with things. He's going to deal with sin in your life. He's going to clean you up. But see, what the Lord wants is He wants your home. He wants the atmosphere around you to be the atmosphere of heaven. You see, where the glory is, Isaiah 4, 4-6 through 6, talks about when the Lord has purged and cleansed the bloodstains from Jerusalem. He would then create a canopy of fire over them that would protect them. See, the glory, the atmosphere of heaven will form a protective shield around your life, around your home. Talk about the benefits of the anointing. The anointing will also take you to a place of true spiritual discernment. Not fear-based. See, a lot of people have a fear-based discernment. Where there's a fear. They think the devil's going to get them. Now, I'm not making fun because that's, you know, but they're afraid. But the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So, true discernment is not fear-based, and it also does not look with the natural eye. Isaiah 11, 3-5, it says, Jesus would not judge with the, His natural eye, but He would have true judgment He would see spiritually. It's easy to look at things from a natural perspective and judge it through the natural But you've got to get past that to see the spirit behind it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, a lot of people, they judge with their natural mind. Oh, it's not that big a deal. But they don't understand the spirit that may be behind something. True discernment will discern the spirit behind it. And the importance... Of cross-pollinating. Romans 1.11, the Apostle Paul told the Roman church, he said, I long to be with you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. Now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote this to you, but I'm going to quote it, my personal translation, because I studied this out in the Greek really hard. Because I wanted to know what it said. This is actually what it says in the Greek. It says, I long to be with you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift that will take you to a place of strength. That's what it actually says in the Greek. See, the Apostle Paul knew that when he got there, there could be an impartation in their life that would take them to a place of strength. See, the anointing will come in and God will start doing several things. He'll release His fire to start purifying you. He'll start cleaning up your life. He'll start breaking things off you that need to go. 
He'll start teaching you things you never knew. You'll start seeing things you've never seen. But He'll also put you through a wilderness where you're going through trials and things that He can knock rough edges off your life. That's the process. But I'm going to tell you it's important about cross-pollination that God's moving in different places in different ways that we receive what He has. Because He deposits His anointing in different places in different ways. And when you honor God by going somewhere, like maybe you go like we did to Brandon by fire, you go to different places and you receive that anointing, that impartation will help take you to a place of strength. Do you see what I'm saying? But God has released a different anointing in different places. I don't fully understand, understand all this, but it seems like it's drawing the body of Christ together. Because when you, see, when you think of somebody like Rodney Howard Brown, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's the joy. But yet people don't realize the major signs and wonders and miracles that go with that. When you think of some place, let's say Benny Hinn's ministry, what do you think of? Healing. When you think of the Brownsville Revival, you think of souls and revival fire. When you think of Bethel, you think of healing. When you think of IHOP, you think about intercession. There's different anointings that's out there. And as you honor God and you connect with these different anointings that's being imparted to you, and God is using that to take you to a place of strength. See, a lot of people think that, well, you know, if God wants to move, He'll just find me where I'm at and, you know, I'll just get... That's not the way it works. You've got to be hungry and you've got to be humble and you've got to go after God. Can you just imagine the guy who was goofy enough in Jesus' day that Jesus was walking through Galilee somewhere and he was sitting in his little house, his little stone house, and he's like, he totally needed healing, but he thought, well, you know, if God's going to touch me, he knows where I live. That's exactly the attitude a lot of people have. Well, if God's going to touch me, he knows where I live, I'll just stay here. Well, why don't you have the humility and the hunger to go after God and go where God's moving? But see, the, just like the bee will go from place to place, it's cross-pollinating. As, you go, as God touches you in different ways, there's a cross-pollinating that's happening. That's why in different ways, when, when God has brought somebody to town, I've always encouraged our people, go and receive from God. And we'll go receive from God. But let me close with this, because this is what I really wanted to get to. Rick Joyner had this prophecy and back in 2004. Actually, the visions happened prior to that, but he wrote about it in his book called The Apostolic Ministry. Listen to what he said. He said, For the last few years, I've been given visions of a very unique spiritual delta force that is being prepared in different places around the world. These are God's special forces. Those who are part of this force have the most fierce resolution in their purpose I've ever seen. They are profoundly sure of who they are and where they're going. They have an uncompromising devotion to truth and integrity. They may also be the most, they may also be the most powerful supernatural people that have ever walked the earth at one time. These will be known as God's messengers of power. They will be, and I love this part, they will be walking coals of fire from the very throne of God who help to set off revival and moves of God wherever they are sent. These messengers of power are presently alive and scattered all over the world. It is hard to find more than a handful together in any one place at one time. Though they will begin to congregate more in few places. Even so, a congregation that just has two of these at one time is exceptional. Many congregations, I find this interesting, cannot stand the fire. They say fire. 
cannot stand the fire that is on these emerging ones, and they will either have driven them away or will try to drive them away. In the same way, they are having a hard time fitting into the church in its present state. They are marching to a different drumbeat, a different sound. The enemy will try to take advantage of this and make them bitter and rebellious. Most are far too focused and serious to fit into the typical local church life as it is presently. Let me read that again. Most of these people are far too focused and serious to fit into the typical local church life as it is presently. The Lord is preparing places for them. These are His true end-time apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and those that I believe will be used in revival in these last days. Have you ever felt like you're not really fitting into the typical, normal church setting too much and maybe you feel kind of driven out? The religious community, you're getting on their nerves a little bit with all this revival stuff and this Holy Ghost fire business. You don't really feel like you're fitting in. Well, the thing is, you might fall under this category. And God is preparing places where there can be a gathering of these type of people. And there's a great preparation that's happening. There's an end time move. Now, I close with this. I told you these prophecies about America. And I told you where things are going and kind of where it seems like they're at. But I'm telling you that there are God's special forces. There are people around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I believe some of you in the sound of my voice, but around this Metroplex that are hungry. They don't feel like they're fitting into all the games and the charisma and the joking around that's going on in a lot of churches. They're really hungry for God. They're serious. They're serious. They're wanting to see souls saved and they're wanting to see a move of God and they're, they're tired of all the games. Okay? And God is about to start gathering those type of people to places where revival fire is burning. And I'm telling you that things are moving that direction. It's moving into a great awakening. These prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Eventually, when it's all said and done, Dallas is going to be the hub. I've heard people say Dallas would be like a, the Jerusalem of the West because it's going to be such a hub of revival. I believe that. But we're not there yet. And here's the thing. You've got to stay the course. See, a lot of people want it right now. But when it comes to prophecy, you've got to be patient in God's timing. And let Him do in you. You see, when all of this comes to fruition, I'm not looking at one year from now. I'm not looking at five years from now. I'm looking at, Lord, I know that You're moving. I know there's a great awakening that's, that's going to hit America and it's already really beginning. It's at its infancy stage. I know that when it's said and done, Dallas is going to be significant. I know you've put me here. This may you know, play out over the next 20 years. But all I know is, when revival is fully ignited, I want to be at ground zero. And I want you to be able to trust me to be a part of what you're doing. See, people are in a big hurry. I'm going to tell you something right now. When revival really does come to full fullness in America, the full fruition, a lot of what people are looking at right now, a lot of these larger movements and things, they're not ready. Now I'm going to tell you, revival will be a blessing to some people and a curse to others. It will cause some people to see phenomenal things and others it will actually destroy their ministry. Because God, it's going to be like a tidal wave. 
How many knows when you go to Hawaii and these places has these big waves? If you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna you're gonna get hurt. You better know how to ride the wave. Some people will ride the wave, and other people it'll crash over them. See, some ministries are actually resisting the Spirit of God. They don't want to let God move. They want to water things down. And when revival fully hits, people that's been in their ministry is going to want more than what they can offer and they're going to leave. Others that have embraced the move of God and allow God to do the process that He wants to do. Fuselage. He sealed them off. He, he burned out of them what needs to go. He prepared them. He tempered them. Like gold refined in the fire. They submitted to the process. They made a wineskin that was ready. When the wave hits, they'll ride the wave. It really boils down to, this is a good analogy when Jesus said those that build their house on sand or build it on a rock. You know. <clears throat> See right now, some are building their house on sands of being seeker friendly, caring more about what people think than God. They're building their house on the sand of watering down the gospel. They're building their house on the sand of religion. And when revival hits, it's going to wipe out what they have. This is good. But I want to be ready for what's coming. And I really believe that there are people right now, even in the sound of my voice, just like this prophecy, you march to the beat of a different drum. You, you, you don't really fit into... The, the church life as it's seen right now in America because there's a great awakening coming and God has touched you. He set you on fire and you're like a coal of fire and God's doing a work in you because He's doing a work in you that's going to play out in this great awakening. But right now, you don't feel like you're fitting into what's typical church. You're sitting there while everybody's worshiping their little, and it's just a religious ritual and it grates on you because you know that it's not really the fire. Where, where's God's presence? Why aren't people hungry? You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, you know, he said a lot of these denominations, he was speaking about one specifically, he said they need to shut all their doors next Sunday and everybody get on their face and beg God to bring back the glory and ask Him, why did the glory leave? But you feel like you march to the beat of a different drummer. There's something different. You're not really fitting in. Because it seems to you like the church is playing games. They're compromising with the world. They're not really winning the loss. They're just they're going through the motions. It's not and, and it grieves you and you're hungry for more and, and you're wanting to see Book of Acts Christianity. And you're not feeling like you're fitting in. But let me just encourage you that you're it's okay that you're not fitting in because God has a plan that's going to span out over the next 20, 30 years in this nation that you're eventually going to fit in. See, God puts His fire in you now, just like King David, and He may have you in the caves right now, but He's preparing you for something much greater. That's not within your little bubble. See, a lot of people get caught up with, well, you know, little rock wall and my, and my little calling. Get beyond that. Think about what's God doing in America over the next 20 years. What's He doing across the world? What's going on on a global scale? I want to fit into God's big purpose and plan with all of it. I want to... I want to be able to fit into what he's doing. 
some of you right now, you're in the place where he's cutting your destiny in you like a key that'll fit into the lock of your destiny in the right time. You're squeezing through these double straights as you're coming out of your past and you're pressing into something new. So this is what I want to pray with you guys about. I really feel like some of you are relating to this. I do. I I believe with all my heart when I preach this and I gave this word that there are people here tonight and there are people who are going to be listening to this that you feel like you're not really currently fitting in and you're not rebellious. It's not rebellion. And it's, it's not, you know, being critical or religious or any of that. It's not any of that. There are people like that. But it's different. It's like you just don't feel like that you're relating to things that are going on. You're hungry for more. And one of the things God is going to do at River of Life is, is this thing is being planted. Is I believe with all my heart, those that are here, those that are called to be here, God's going to be drawing in these coals. I'm telling you, they're coming. There's people around this metroplex and some of them in East Texas that, that are longing for more. They're hungry, they're desperate, and they're praying. And some of them are crying in their prayer time going, God, where are you moving just send me there. I don't care. I'm hungry. And God's going to draw them into places like this. He's bringing them. Mark my words. It's coming. Because they're wanting a place where God will move and where there's freedom. They're tired of sitting through religious worship where it's just dead. I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but the Lord isn't pleased with some of it. He's not impressed at the least. I'm going to tell you, some of the church services... People have resisted the Holy Spirit a long time ago. You know what the scariest judgment is? What would be to me is if God's presence lifted. You remember King David after all that he went through and then he messed up with Bathsheba and all that? What did he say? Read about it. I believe it was Psalms, what, 51 or something like that. He got on his face and he was saying, Lord, search me, know me, but Lord, please don't take your presence. That would have been the greatest judgment of all. So as God is doing this fuselage preparation in you guys, listen, ask yourself, are you easily offended? Are you somebody that if somebody tries to correct you or try to maybe at times rebuke you or talk to you or or give you advice or whatever that you get bent out of shape and you're easily offended? Is that you? Just be honest with yourself. Do you tend to be a prideful person that doesn't like to listen to other people? Prideful people have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, they have a hard time listening. A prideful person, you'll try to tell them something and they don't want to hear it. They already know everything. Are you a fearful person? Are you a rebellious person? Do you struggle with lust? Do you struggle losing your temper? Are you not patient enough with other people? Do you have idols in your heart? Things that are too important. Some people, it's an idol. It's an idol to get married. It's an idol about money. It's just, there's things, I'm going to tell you, some ministers, those of you that are calling to ministry, you better hear me. Don't even think for a moment, you better be humble and hear my heart. Don't think for a moment that people have gone before you, that you are more spiritual than them, and think to yourself, well, they fell, but I never would. That's pride. Some of them were probably more spiritual than me or you, and they still fell. I'm going to tell you, you better let God get these idols out of your heart. You know, pray about it. Some people, it's money. 
And they make decisions on money. I don't want any of my decisions in the ministry to ever be about finances. I don't. Money comes, money goes. That, you know, it's just money. But see, people have idols in their hearts about money and they start catering to the people that have the money. And they start speaking at places that will give them more money. And pretty soon as that greed takes a root, then they get goofy and weird. And every place they go, they've got to fly first class and stay in some ritzy hotel. And that's wrong. And, they, and they're, they're ripping off God's people. Raping churches financially. Then they will be judged. They have idols in their hearts about sexual things. And then pretty soon, next thing you know, they're off sleeping with a prostitute or something. Let God get out of you whatever idol is there that needs to go. I'm telling you, some, some ministers have their eyes and their focus on, oh, if I could just get on TV, or oh, if I just had this big building, or the smoke and the lights, or all the different things, or these, these, this amount of people, or this. and they, It's like this lusting after these idols. Are you doing things for your own glory to lift yourself up or are you doing things for the Lord's glory? But do you have areas of insecurities within yourself? God's wanting to move you into strength and wholeness. Let me say that again. God's wanting to move you into strength and wholeness. Let God purify your motives and grow in faith. So this is what we're going to pray about. Listen, let God deal with this stuff. I want you to really think about Lord, search me, know me. Let your fire burn out what needs to go. Show me. Is there things in my life? Is there idols I don't know about? Is there something in my life that's like a ticking time bomb that's just waiting down the road to try to explode? It's like something I don't see, but you see it, Holy Spirit. Show me. I don't want it to come up when it's too late. I, don't, I want to deal with it now. Because I'm going to tell you, some people, they're going to deal with it one day, but they'll deal with it after a crash and burn. Then they'll have to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it then. Deal with it now. Let God purify your motives. This is the honest truth before God. And I'm saying this with humility, but I don't want any motives at all with anything to do with River of Life other than the Lord gets the glory and is moving and touching people. That's it. There's no other motives. I don't care if people know who I am. Who cares? What matters is do they know who Jesus is? Much of what goes on anyway really has little to do... There's too many miracles that have happened when I didn't pray for people. Somebody else prayed for them. The young people that are praying for people in the streets that are getting healed. It's, it's, you know, I don't want any of that stuff. And that's, that's the reason why... With, with a real humble heart, I wanted God to start something fresh and new. Through Sandy and I, we've talked about this. We wanted to, we felt led to start a church, you know, pioneer it from the ground up and let God do it. But we wanted something that there was no church politics. I'm telling you something. I am sick of church politics. I hate them. I'm tired of, I served on ministries. I was on staff where I saw politics and I am so tired of it. I hate it. People make decisions based on who's got the most money or who's going to pull this string and, and they're manipulated, they're controlled. I'm going to tell you, I've had people even, I've had people try to tell me how to preach. I love them, but it's like I'm not going to be manipulated and controlled. And see, when you let the Lord build something like this from the ground up, you don't have to have church politics. You don't have to have somebody coming in that's going to try to manipulate you. 
I'm tired of the manipulation. I'm tired of the games. There's no games. You ask, you know, ask Brother Anthony, listen, and, and Pastor Steve, some people, what it is with River Life is we want, we pray and we fast. We believe prayer is the key to revival. Let the Holy Spirit move, but we're after souls. And just like this Friday, they're going out winning the loss. There's going to be a bunch of people get saved. I'm going to tell you, we're after souls. The focus is winning souls, discipling them, and hosting God's presence. And it's pretty simple. But I don't want any impure motives in any of it. I really don't. I remember hearing David Hogan say, you know, these people come up to him and they, they want him to lay hands on him and so they can just have what he has. And he, David's rough. Man. Anyway, he said, you know, he said, if I could just roll it all up in a ball, I would just take it and get out of my face, you know. Because he said, I'm not into all that. I don't care about the accolades. And what this is what David was saying. He's like, you, he was saying about some of these people, they want the reputation. They want the fame. They want the accolades. They want the pat on the back. They want people look up to him. David's like, you know what? If that's what you want, he said, I wish that I could roll it up in a ball and just give it to you. Take it and go. He said, because I'm not after that. I'm after winning souls and seeing a move of God. So this is it. We're going to pray. How many, think about how many want Book of Acts Christianity for real? All right. I do too. I'm tired of games. I'm tired of American Christianity. I want biblical Book of Acts Christianity. So here's what we're going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to deal with stuff in you. I want you to pray about this tonight. Ask yourself, Holy Spirit, pray to the Lord. Ask yourself, be honest. Say, Lord, is there areas in me where I'm easily offended? Is there pride? Am I critical? Do I have a fear issue? Do I have a rebellious issue? Am I you know, lustful, angry, whatever? Is there idols? Are my motives pure? I've heard of some people, believe it or not, that will prophesy for money. You call their little line, you know, for $10 you get this. Man, if those people are end up in heaven, I will be so shocked. But I'm going to tell you, God is, God is going to, He will judge stuff like that. You don't do things for those motives. The motives of making money. Prostituting. The gifts that God has put in people. Prostituting it. But Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to move on people tonight. Deal with hearts. If there's things in people that need to be dealt with tonight, I pray in your holy presence and your fire, Lord, that you would deal with them. <clears throat> Lord, I ask you to, to bring to the surface these things and let them be totally dealt with and purified tonight.